0: Thank you for joining us on the Act Love Walk podcast. We are so glad to be joined by Reverend Laura Andrews today. Laura shares with us about her work with UMC Next, her church, St. Paul's UMC Lenexa, and how she stays involved with her community outside of the church.
1: Welcome, everyone. Today we have myself, Abby, Carly, Sam, and our guest today, Laura Andrews. Um, Does everyone mind going around and introducing themselves?
0: Hey, guys. I'm Carly. Uh, You've heard me on the podcast before, and I'm excited to be back.
2: This is Sam's voice. I've also been on before, but excited to chat today as well.
3: And I'm Laura Andrews, and I'm excited to be the guest uh, with Micah Core today.
1: All right, awesome. So our first question, um, Laura, you have been involved in the past few years with an organization called UMC Next. Do you mind giving a brief description about that and just talking a little bit about what you do with them?
3: Sure. UMC Next is a grassroots organization that happened um, in response to General Conference 2019 and the decision to uphold the traditional plan. It was a response from folks who, um, who decided that, that the, the decision of, of General Conference was not okay and it was it's a movement of resistance to that and and centers on principles of mirroring our baptismal covenant to resist evil injustice and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves and to work uh toward lgbtq plus inclusion in the church, but also a holistic look at justice in the church um as as part of our baptismal covenant, we say that the church is open to people of all ages, nations, and races, and so uh, it's a multifaceted effort toward queer inclusion, but also racial justice specifically um, was part of that movement. So it was a national um, gathering that happened a little over a year ago now here in Kansas City. I serve uh, in Lenexa, um, which is a suburb of Kansas City, and it was at Church of the Resurrection down the road a bit from me. And people, uh, each annual conference brought 10 representatives with them. It wasn't an official United Methodist gathering, but there were leaders, um, incredible leaders from from all of the United States uh, conferences, annual conferences. And we had roundtable conversation and we heard speakers about what it could look like to have a fully inclusive church, a church that, um, that we could be proud of, that we could... Um, honor the dignity of folks in and, um, and to make sure that there was a way forward specifically changing the, the discipline and the denominations um, stance around LGBTQ inclusion. So looking at ordination and marriage specifically um, to change those, but also with an awareness that the institutional structure that we have as a church is not God's dream for the world, that we have a lot of areas that while they are, um, there's not explicit language in our discipline that, you know, um, is exclusive racially, that the system is built in a way that that does not um, prize all of our um siblings of color and so looking at different ways that we could move forward with that my involvement i started out as one of those 10 from the great plains that that got to be a part of that i feel really grateful to have been able to to represent great plains but also to to hear from people across the country and part of that organizing um in the time when we all gathered in Kansas City we spent it in Conversation with with our annual conferences, and when we were in that small group, we were asked to have a leader going forward for the for each annual conference. And Reverend Deborah McKnight and I um, are the co-leaders for Great Plains. Out of that conversation, we we became the people who were going to carry that movement back into to local organizing and what does it look like right here in Kansas and Nebraska to continue that work. And so, I have been able to help lead to co-lead that, that effort. And, um, and so we, we have multiple teams, the the resource team and resistance team, and uh, we've looked at the discipline. We've heard stories from, from different people all over Kansas and Nebraska about what they're doing um, to, to work for LGBTQ inclusion, especially is, has been our focus so far. We're looking ahead to, um, to how we can expand that, that work as well. But but that's what we've been doing. We've had uh, Repent and Resist has been a part of that. It was a, an or, organized effort to look at the harm that's been caused over the last 40 years to queer people and in the church. We've had resources shared. Um, yeah, I can, that's that's a bit about it. How about that?
1: Awesome. Um, I know also in our own conversation, we've talked a little bit about um, anti-racism. Do you think UMC Next will, you know, be a substantial resource on anti-racism? Like, does UMC Next, um, do you think they will continue to, like, address other issues and kind of how so?
3: Sure. So from the, the origins of UMC Next... A good chunk of our conversations in that gathering in Kansas City were around racial justice too. They're just not the ones that that often get reported on because of we've been so focused in the United Methodist Church on one issue, and it and in some ways rightfully so, in the sense of like we've had a special General Conference on this one thing, right? And we're trying to get this this. Um, action happening but the conversations in that room also were around racial justice and taught and doing those things so like for example when we had mic time where you had table sharing of what happened we privileged the voices of people of color and queer and trans people and and instead of you know white straight men, like who normally are the first people at the microphone. And so we, d- we started with the practice that started centering voices that were not always centered in the church. So yes, <laughs> the answer to that is yes. Junius Dotson, Reverend Junius Dotson, he's a general secretary of discipleship ministries and an elder here in the Great Plains Conference. He is one of the national co-leaders for UMC Next. He, uh, he shared an incredible um, perspective, it's almost been a month ago now, but in response to to George Floyd's death and um, and and talked about white silence not being okay, and it was a call from UMC Next to um, to really stand up in anti racist work. Uh, Deborah and I have been in conversation of what does it look like to to relaunch this work. Um, UMC Next took a break during COVID, and part of that was sensitivity and. Um, there was a lot going on for a while in terms of our local churches, but um but also general conference things have been put on hold. And so um that's made a, a difference to um Deborah McKnight and I talked about um what does it look like for us to to come back in and and use our platform in in Kansas and Nebraska to also amplify the voices not just of of um we are people in, in the Great Plains, but also um, people of color, not that those are always mutually exclusive, but um, to be more intentional with our work here uh, to, to do anti-racist work and to share re- resources in that way, too. And part of that comes from the fact of the four commitments of UMC Next include racial justice as part of that. But, but also, if we're looking at justice, like justice for one person is not, is not justice for, like, it's, it's not justice until everybody... Gets justice, and so um, it's not going to help if only you know white lesbian and gay people have rights in the church. Like we have to have a more intersectional look at justice for for um, there to be real integrity be- behind an inclusive United Methodist Church. So anti-racism has to necessarily be a part of the work of um, LGBTQ inclusion in the church too.
1: So, yeah, you spoke a little bit about, um, you know, what UMC Next has been doing in our conference. So I know that you have started an anti-racism team in our district, which I'm also on. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about, like, what led you to do that and kind of the thought process behind getting that together?
3: Sure. (laughs) So... I feel really passionate about anti-racism, especially within the institution of the United Methodist Church. I think we have ignored um, the injustice, or at least acted like it is not the most important thing in the room for a really long time. And for me, because I do so much work around LGBTQ inclusion in the church, I feel, I feel added responsibility to make sure that we're not picking one thing or another, but we're instead looking at um, the body of Christ more holistically. So, so some of my motivation comes because uh, I have been a part of organizing for, you know, for queer people in the church. I want to make sure that that never um, uh, distracts us from racial justice. And so that's really important to me. I also think that we've done a lot of work, um, in the last, you know, six years around racial justice. Uh, and it always seems to fade away out of people's minds and hearts and, you know, somebody dies and everybody gets really fired up for racial justice. And then it, when it's off the news, then we stop having conversations. And so, um, this last round of work, uh, I, uh, You know, with with George Floyd dying and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and um, those conversations, we started to to have sort of blips of conversations in our district among clergy of what could be the response or should we put out a statement or something like that? And I I feel so strongly about something like a statement doesn't have integrity behind it if we're not going to be in it for the long haul. And so I was really praying about what could it look like for for Kansas City, a district that is divided racially in an incredible way. It is it is truly a travesty to look at the way the inequity in this in, in the Kansas City district. Um, Johnson County is the wealthiest county uh, and white, 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 and Wyandotte County is incredibly racially diverse and also one of the poorest counties in our state. And um, and so much of that has to do with racial injustice um, that has led to economic injustice as well. And so I think about a statement that doesn't acknowledge the fact that we have some of our largest, wealthiest churches in this district. And then we, we in the KCK um, part of our district, we, we barely have churches um, able to afford a pastor. And we've closed more churches than, um, than we have vital churches in in that part of the district. And so I think about what can we do as a district that doesn't look like a statement, but has some, um, has some real uh, oomph behind it. And so I reached out to uh, Reverend Ann Gatobu, RDS, and and I said, you know, I I want to know how I can be a part of this work for the long haul. And I want to yield to your voice as a Black woman if, if this is not my place to step in here. But I also feel some responsibility as a white clergy person to do this work with white clergy people to make sure that we're not, you know, feeling good about a, a, a small step Instead of um, doing some deconstruction of, of whiteness and what what our privilege has done and supremacy has done um, in the church, and so we had a really long conversation about what that could look like and um, and and how we could do that better. And we decided a team of people that we knew would be in it for a long haul rather than um, than a short term would be the way to go about it. And so we have this vision of um, of having this team. Help lead lead us forward of what would it look like if in the district we had, um, you know, things like implicit bias training, or we needed to learn the history of Kansas City and the racial, um, the racial history of Kansas City when we were appointed here? What if that's part of the orientation? Or how can we make sure that we're resourcing churches so that it's not one sermon and done? Or also, how can we help You know, pastors be in a place of conversation who might not have had these conversations before, um, so that uh, so that we're not just expecting people to go from you know life as it is to all of a sudden being an anti-racist district as practiced. I mean, it's it's hard work and it's work that never finishes, and so. That's, that's part of how it got started and and why I'm passionate about it. I'm excited to see what happens with it because I, I do feel like people are listening and, and open to change in ways that haven't been before. Um, I see that in my own congregation and I see that among colleagues. And so I know that my network, um, we're, we're, we added 30 minutes to our monthly meeting so that we can have 30-minute conversation about anti-racism every time, and and each of us are reading things and going to share about what we're reading. So we're going to hear about raising white kids next time from one of my colleagues who has um, read that book and have a conversation about it. And so there's just changes that can happen. We just have to be committed for for the long haul in them.
2: Yeah, I think that work you're doing on like the, you know, even with the UMC as a big body, but also in, you know, the conference of the Great Plains, but even on the district level, something we've been talking about in Micah Corps is, um, you know, creating welcoming churches, but like making sure it's not like a surface level of welcoming. So we're just kind of wondering how you implement, you know, justice in your local church that you serve.
3: Sure. So I'm senior pastor at St. Paul's UMC in Lenexa. We are a reconciling congregation, which means that we have an explicit uh, statement of welcome. It includes um, various <laughs> areas of explicit welcome. Um, part of being reconciling, of course, means that 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 we celebrate sexual orientation or gender identity. Um, uh, of all people that we, but we also have, uh, statements are around, you know, racial justice and ability and economic status and, um, immigration status and, and all these types of things. So, so when you have a statement that that is that big and a church that has bought in to, to being a welcoming congregation and to say, this is who we are as a part of, um, a part of our church, I think there's a big responsibility to make sure that we don't think that we have arrived, that we are somehow self-righteous in this, that that we are this this church, and that therefore means we have no more work to do. That somehow, when they passed that, you know, almost a decade ago, that that we are we are done with that work. I think um, what it means to be a welcoming church for us and what that looks like is constant conversation uh, about whether or not we're living up to what what we say we are and whether or not we're, um, we're doing that work. So for St. Paul's, you know, our focus, especially in the last few years, has been largely around LGBTQ inclusion and organizing within the UMC. And that has been important and it has made a difference in people's lives. And this church is different because of that work. And I know that that people are here because of that part of our, our welcome statement. Um, but there's other parts of our welcome statement too. And I think we're learning right now of what does it look like to take a step back and realize, um, that while we are a church with, with, with progressive theology in a lot of ways that, that we need to figure out what it looks like to do that work on the ground. And so we, um, we do little things to help remind that so like right now you know everybody has the the things on what to remind you how to wash your hands for 20 seconds or whatever so our staff are the only people in the building right now but our sign in the window is reading our welcome statement because that's also about 20 <laughs> seconds long and, and a spiritual practice to to rehearse that we we have done um you know, sermon series around um, our welcome statement, what that means. Uh, The last sentence of it says, we celebrate the worth, dignity, and gifts of every person as a child of God. We celebrate the worth, dignity, and gifts of every person as a child of God. And that is, is this centering point of what does it look like for us to do that as a pretty wealthy white, mostly white congregation Um, in Lenexa, Kansas, you know, this, this suburban place. And, um, and so we ask ourselves a lot of questions. We look at things like really explicitly, like our staff handbook. So this last church council meeting, we worked to see, you know, do we have harassment policies in place beyond sexual harassment? Do we have things around um, harassment? Does that include an element of racial justice here too. And how are we focusing on that? Our staff parish this month, it was in conversation about what can we require, just like we require safe gatherings training in the church. What do we, what do we need to require from our staff to make sure that the biases that we, that we have are um, checked a little bit and checked to make sure that we're not causing harm, but we are uh, leaning into God's kingdom, into into how we do those things. We, we're talking about hiring practices and, um, and what our church needs to do to make sure that we, um, we own our own biases and also make sure that we're um, a safe and welcoming place for, for our siblings of color to be on staff too. Uh, that's not something that we've talked about intentionally, and perhaps might also be part of the reason why our staff is pretty white. And uh, so we're we're having some of those conversations. We we obviously do a lot of like book studies and things. I think that's kind of the the low bar we, right now. We have five different anti-racism uh, books happening, different book studies. Racism in Kansas City is one of them. You know, white fragility how to be an anti-racist, raising white kids. So you want to talk about race um, and waking up white. All of those are offerings right now that are kicking off in the the month of July. And the way that we've talked about that is that if we do one study, we want folks to do two, um, not just to be a one and done, but in the next six months to to do a different book uh, in that time so that we're hearing from different people and different perspectives, but also so that doesn't get shelved as if we, because we read one anti-racism book and had a conversation that we're done with that because we're not. And so that's part of it. One of the things our outreach folks, um, Luke Miltz is our our community engagement coordinator, and he has worked with folks on getting Black Lives Matter signs in in yards. We've had 50 people, 50 families um, sign up to have these yard signs. And part of that has been sharing their why. Why did they um, choose to do so? And it's beautiful to see this uh, this call to be a better neighbor. Some folks want to be a better neighbor by um, having hard conversations with white conservative neighbors uh, that might not be okay with a sign like that. And some people want to be a better neighbor because they want to make sure that their their neighbors of color know that there's that they're safe where they are and to, to have that convert, like to have it be a conversation starter in that way as well. So we have those signs happening right now. We also, you know, have, have done things, looked at how, how we, um, distribute our resources, our serve team, um, you know, gives, gives money through through advocating and responding and, and different things. And so, um, Responding is is how we use our, our serve funds. Um, when something happens, how do we respond to it? So, so for example, in February, that money, the first quarter, that money went to help um, United Methodist Churches in in Nashville that had been hit by a tornado. So that's how we responded. But this quarter, um, we used our responding money to, to give to the Kansas City Bail Fund. And um, to help with folks who had been uh, jailed for uh, the protests, and so trying to look at how we use our resources. What was interesting is we had an awesome conversation about whether or not that that money should be should be out of our justice fund or our responding fund. But realizing bail money is is a response; it's not saying why people got got um, jailed you know, like the justice is is looking at something like More Squared that is the Metro Organization for Racial and Economic Equity that's like working to change policy, that that, that bail money is just um, the responding part of that, which is important, but it's not all of that. And so we're having really good conversations about what does it look like for us to support um, anti-racist work in, in both a mercy and justice way too. So those are some of the things that we've been doing.
2: Yeah, I think that's, thank you for sharing all of that, because I think that's something we've been talking about in the Micah core is that mercy and justice, you know, holding those in tandem, but, you know, not putting too much focus on one over the other. Um, and also that walking humbly part, which is our last part of Micah 6-8, you know, always asking the questions and always kind of, you know, pressing against that a little bit.
0: Yeah, I, I want to kind of echo what everybody said. Um, what what St. Paul's is doing is really great, and I think um, I I feel like we've said this every time we've talked to somebody on a podcast. But I I just feel glad that there are um, churches in the Great Plains that are doing this work, like around racism and environmental issues and LGBTQ inclusion, and so I just think it's awesome. So. One thing that um, we like to talk about here on Act Love Walk is how do you see faith and justice intersecting in your life?
3: How do I see faith and justice intersecting in my life? For me, the work of justice is a spiritual discipline and a means of grace. And so I come to know who God is uh, through the work of justice, but I also come to know who God isn't and what God isn't. Um, and I think, I think my faith in God is only strengthened. Um, when, when I can envision, uh, and work toward, uh, God's dream for the world, a place that is equitable, that is just, that is, um, is, is doing that work relationally and, and locally and systemically and all of those things. Um, I think for me, I, I, I would not have said I wasn't a person of faith, you know, growing up and having no clue what justice was, but I do think there's an emptiness or at least a loss to not have justice be a part of, um, of faith. You know, I didn't realize that, um, that justice could be a part of faith until I was in seminary. I mean, I just didn't have a concept of that and, um, and didn't, didn't have that piece of the puzzle fit together, and I think once I realized that this work is like how we how we get to the, you know Thy Kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, um, it was like for me, I felt God more fully, and um, and my hope is that people who are so jaded by the church, um, I hope that a similar kind of path for them that that they could see. Justice um, as this calling and this deep part of who we are because of who Christ was um, and, and is in our lives um, to be, um, to call us toward this this work um that that really just says that we celebrate the worth, dignity, and gifts of every person as a child of God, and also the awareness that the world doesn't, and and that there are so many structures that are that are sinful and broken. And so to be able to see the work of social justice um, as as the work of of mending and healing a broken and sinful world and my own heart, I think um, I think it only helps me know who God is in a deeper way and who the body of Christ is in a deeper way.
0: Thank you for sharing. Um, and I I feel like I come from um, you know I've. I didn't really put the connection between faith and justice together until about my senior year in high school, freshman year of college. Um, and it's, it's been like a, it's been a learning process, but it's been so cool to kind of see how things that I have always understood as a part of the Christian faith, um, kind of fit into that realm of faith and justice. Um, and so our last question for you today is how do you how do you stay involved in your community beyond to the walls of the church
3: sure so uh I think that's been a I'll, I'll answer it personally and then like as the church too but but this is I just started my second year here in Lenexa and um was in a place for five years before that in Winfield and um and there, you know, I had had a chance to know the community and it's a small town and I knew most of the leadership and I knew um, and was involved uh, beyond the walls in a really easy way. I think being in a larger city and in a, um, in a new community in general that I didn't have as much familiarity with, it's been a, a lot more intentional work. But I also am really aware that the work of justice is not gonna start in my office in um to to change uh, policies and and to change practices that that impact my neighbors. And so I do a lot of work of trying to figure out who's all already doing this work in the community because somebody was probably smarter than I was and already doing this, right? So God has already. Um, already done this and, and, and God is outside my office. And so, I mean, we, we as Methodists, we are Wesleyan and believe in prevenient grace. And I think that God's grace goes before us in the work of justice too. And so I do a lot of um, trying to research and to hear um, who are the people I need to know. And and so getting, you know, I'm I'm really passionate about anti-racism and I was in my last appointment as well. And so when I got here, I, I researched around what anti-racism work is happening that I want to partner with. And so some of that happens um, in, you know, getting coffee with somebody or going and showing up at different meetings or um, right now it's, it's being, you know, being a part of those email lists and things so that I know where I need to show up to go to a protest or to um, make a phone call or to email legislators or, or things like that. Um, so I think it's part, it's, it's so relational to make sure who do I need to know, especially during COVID times, because we can't just go and have coffee with somebody. And so making sure, um, a lot of Googling and, and things to, to be a part, um, of those missions beyond the walls. I think also for me personally, and as a personal act of faith in how I understand justice is, is the work of neighboring and, um, you know, people here talk about how white our city is in Lenexa. Well, I rent right now, and the majority of my neighbors are not white. And um, and to have people of color be my neighbors is um, is an incredible gift. But but when I think about um, doing the work of what it means to, I mean, even Micah six eight of what it means to to do justice and love kindness, walk humbly with our God of um, of of doing that, it means being a really good neighbor. And so um, that's part of the beyond the walls. And I think it's what personal discipleship looks like when we think about the work of, um, of justice also. Uh, when I think about our church and how we we stay um, connected beyond the walls, we have a lot of folks who are incredibly involved in local politics and, um, and local government. And some of that comes from social worker backgrounds. Some of it comes from just a passion for for what's happening. So so this fall, you know, there were organizing. There's organizing in basements of church homes as we work to pass non-discrimination ordinances in various cities within Johnson County, um, specifically around sexual orientation. And um, they, you know, are having conversations about okay, you're going to say this and you're going to say that and um and and be a part of that, but but got folks involved writing letters and things. Um, I think it's, it's making sure that, that you know what's going on in your community and, and have conversations. We have elected officials in our congregation too. And, um, and I think that helps to um, you know, know what's happening. Just like in the, in the United Methodist Church, we have you know, this lofty mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And then the next sentence in the discipline talks about how the best place we do that is in the local church. Um, It's, it's similar. When we look at these big, huge systemic issues um, that are hurting people, I still think the best place to start working on those are, are in the local policies too. And so people are doing that and doing that faithfully and um, you know, going door to door and knocking and making sure people have turned out to vote and and things like that. And, um, I mean, that's, that's part of it, but we also have, you know, ongoing partnerships that people have had for a long time. We do, um, uh, we have, like, we have a group like the, the Dialogue Institute. We have women who have, before COVID, have, have brunch with these Turkish women, um, And, and get to know each other better. We have, we do a lot with Veronica's voice, which is, a um, you know, sex trafficking, uh, awareness and recovery group. And so, um, they work with that, but, but I think part of being, you know, being beyond the local or beyond the walls is, is the, I mean, it is the work of the church, but I think, um, for us to have a welcome statement like we do and then never do anything beyond our walls, we would be at such a loss because um, the diversity and the richness and the people we want to include and, and work for it aren't always just going to show up because we have a welcome statement, right? So, so um, the good news is, is outside our walls too. And so uh, I think we go and meet it as part of that work.
0: Yeah, I like what you just said there that the good news is outside the is outside of the walls of the church as well as inside of the walls of the church. I think that's something that uh, we can forget often. So thank you for sharing about that, Laura. Um, you're doing such great work at St. Paul's and um, we're just really appreciative of your leadership in the conference. Thank you. Well, thanks for being on here today. It was great to get to talk to you, and um, have a great rest of your week.
3: (laughs) Thank you all. It was great to spend some time with you. When when COVID makes it safe, you are all always welcome to come and visit St. Paul's, but right now you can do it online, so we would love to have you if you uh, ever want to join us for worship.
0: Thanks.
1: Thank you for listening to Act Love Walk, a podcast produced by the 2020 Great Plains United Methodist Micah Corps interns.
0: We are so grateful for the opportunity to get to share our stories and our ministry in the form of a podcast this year. Well, this is not the summer we envisioned, and it's turning out to be an amazing experience.
2: And we want to thank our amazing leaders, Maddie Bogus, Melissa Ross, and Charlie Kalaba.
1: We also want to thank all the Great Plains United Methodists for their continuous financial and spiritual support and all the organizations that have met
0: with us and those that we will meet during the summer.
1: Without you, this
0: internship would not be possible. You can learn more about MICACOR at greatplainsumc.org slash MICACOR. If you want to keep up with the MICACOR interns, you can follow us on Facebook at MICACOR. Find
2: us on Twitter at core underscore mica.
1: And on Instagram at MicahCo2020. Should we say bye? Bye!
2: <laughs>